Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to review some Bengals headlines. We're going to talk about the 2022 schedule. We're going to answer some questions that were submitted to Bengals.com. And Tom McLevy is going to stop by with his thoughts on the draft, the schedule, and some other Cincinnati stuff as well. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans. I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. When you go to the Super Bowl and play into February, the offseason goes by really quickly, and here we are. We're less than three months away from the Bengals' first preseason game. And then the season starts for us on September 11th, and we have four games in the first 19 days, so it's going to be a whirlwind of Bengals football. All right, let's move on to some headlines. So first off, voluntaries are happening. The rookie camp happened, and it's so exciting to see all the players out there again. You have Joe Burrow throwing passes, no knee brace. You have Jamar Chase catching passes. I saw footage of Lyle Collins and, and Kappa doing drills. Dax Hill's on the field. It's just really exciting. Everything is starting up. And speaking of Burrow, there's two things that he said recently that I thought were pretty cool. One, he says, we're not going to accept losing. And that's just a winner's mentality. We know the kind of player he is. We know that he's a winner. Second year, takes his team to the Super Bowl. He just has the will to not lose. It's not participation trophies for Joe Burrow. It's championships for Joe Burrow. And we're fortunate to have that kind of player with that mentality at the most important position on the team. And then another thing that he said, which I thought was pretty big, they asked him about the last play of the Super Bowl, if he saw Jamar Chase running down the sideline. And Joe said, I checked to the go route on that play. So Joe saw something in the defense and said, we're going to go deep to chase one-on-one on on the outside. And he just didn't have enough time. We've talked about this before on the show. It would have been possibly the greatest moment in Super Bowl history to have this long go route to win the Super Bowl in, in in the waning seconds of the game. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. That's something that we're all going to be living with for the rest of our lives. But it was really cool to see that Joe actually saw that and checked to that. It wasn't just a play call or it just didn't happen. It was something that he intentionally was going for. So man, if that protection just held up for a quarter of a second longer, we'd be singing a different song right now. But that's the way it goes. That's not our last Super Bowl. We're going to be back repeatedly and we're going to get a chance to right those wrongs. And voluntaries. Last year we had the 100% attendance This year, again, it was nice to see everybody out in the field, but there was two guys that are missing. The first one is Trey Hendrickson, and he said he wanted to spend a little more time with his family. He's going to prepare on his own. You know, you'd like to see him there. You want that 100% participation like we had last year, and it's good for team morale. But you know what? He had such a good year. He's such a good player. It was a different team when he was in there versus when he wasn't in there. So he's such a valuable player, a pro bowler, totally delivered every dime that he was worth and then some. So you know what, whatever it takes for him to get himself ready for the season, as long as when we line up against Pittsburgh in Game 1, he's ready to attack Pickett or Trubisky or whoever they're going to put back there, that's really all that matters. And then the other player is Jesse Bates, and we all know the saga that's going on with Jesse Bates. Now the word is that he's not going to play on the franchise tag, and that's common for a lot of players because they figure if they play the one year on the tag and get hurt, they're, they're throwing away a lot of money, possibly their career. So think about the NFL in, in all reality. It doesn't care about its players. That's the truth. You know, we care. We love the team. And when a player's on a team and contributing, yeah, of course they love them. But you see guys retire. So many guys have CTE and ongoing health problems. And, you know, it's, it's like, what have you done for me lately? And if you can't do anything for me, then we don't need you. And that's kind of how the NFL is. So when you see someone like Jesse Bates kind of looking out for himself, it's understandable. Now, I want to make a correlation here. Now, just say that you are worth, at your job, just say you're worth $150,000 a year. And the job is only going to pay you 50000 Are you going to be happy with that job? Are you going to stay with that position? It's the same thing. You know, with Bates, we're talking about millions. So for the average person, it's like, well, you're a millionaire. Does it really matter? But, you know, everyone is their own separate case. And if you think about in your own life, if you were getting paid, you know, half or a third of what you were worth, you wouldn't want to 
do the job either. So I understand where Jesse Bates is coming from. He wanted a contract last year. We didn't give it to him. He wanted a contract this year. We franchise tagged him. And then on top of that, to add insult to injury, we drafted a couple guys that play his position. And, you know, chances are he's going to be grooming his replacement if he plays this season. So I don't know what's going to happen with that. Again, I would have liked to have seen him come for that 100% voluntary attendance like we had last year. But I totally understand where he's coming from. I don't. The Bengals aren't going to give him the money. You know, because you if you're getting Dax Hill, if he's going to be the heir apparent to Jesse Bates, we're paying him less than $3 million a year for his contract. And if you're going to pay Jesse Bates $20 million or $18 million or whatever he wants, that's like a $15 million swing. That's like the money that you would need to, to secure someone like T. Higgins. So I don't think they're going to give him the money. And... I think he's not going to not gonna play this year, and it's going to be a matter of what do you do with him. And I guess it's going to lead to a Jesse Bates trade. It's painful to think about it. It's painful to lose one of our own that's homegrown and such a good player and on the cusp of a Pro Bowl. I mean, a couple years back, he should have been an All-Pro. You know, we all understand it's not easy, but remember, when you're a good team, you can't keep everybody and you start getting fleeced. And once you start paying your quarterback mega millions – you got to say goodbye to some guys, and this might be a casualty, and it, it really is is tough. And, you know, as far as what we're going to get for him, I don't know. I mean, personally, I want a second rounder, and that's you, – you see the trade value in draft picks for NFL players. It's hard to get a first or a second rounder for most players. I mean, that's what I would want, and you know my, my opinion. If, if you're getting anybody from the fourth round on, it doesn't re- really matter. So, you know, like trading Bates away for a fourth and a fifth, is kind of worthless to me, to be dead honest with you. So I would like to see either a second-round pick for Bates straight up or a third-round pick and a player, you know, kind of like the B.J. Hill-Billy Price trade where we got a draft pick and a player. Maybe that's what we can swing for Jesse Bates. So I don't know what's going to happen. That's what I'm forecasting, that there is going to be a trade. And if there is, I really hope that we get some value back because we're going to be losing a dynamite player. Or as I mentioned before, Dax Hill signed, so he's he's in the fold, and he's getting about $3 million a year. And it's not like it used to be when you signed the rookies. It, it, in the past, there was negotiations, there was holdouts, and now every, everything's basically slotted. So there's only a, a certain dollar range that these guys can make. And any contract issues that come up are typically with like language and guaranteed money and you know various clauses and stuff. It's not really the dollar amount. All right, another thing I wanted to talk about, and this is going back about a week or two, when Ryan Tannehill said that he wasn't, it wasn't his job to mentor Malik Willis. And you know what? That's horrible. It's just the way he said it, the expression on his face, the sentiment behind it was just so unlikable. And the fact that he would just own that unlikability makes makes me not like him. I, I can't wait to play him later in the year. I, I really hope that Hendrickson and, and Hubbard get a piece of him. And, you know, it's just not cool what he did. You don't do that. You know, you pay it forward. You know, if, if you didn't tank in the playoffs, Ryan, and throw an interception to the aforementioned Jesse Bates early in that game, maybe they wouldn't have drafted a quarterback. He was horrible that day. He's been a middle-of-the-road quarterback for most of his career. And now... You know, it's time to pass the torch or get ready to pass the torch, and he's just not being cool about it. And Ben Roethlisberger was like that, too, as far as, like, grooming his replacement. The converse to that is I read about Kevin Huber and Drew Chrisman, and Huber is doing everything he can to help Chrisman get ready for the NFL. Whether he replaces him or not, he's just being a human being about it, like I, like I would be, like I hope you would be, like, like most people would be. I mean, he lent the guy his cleats. He's giving him all the ins and outs of his game. You know, when you're secure in yourself, you're, you're not threatened by an up-and-coming person to steal your spot. You know, if you have that self-confidence, it doesn't matter. You know what? All right, fine. You're going to replace me in Cincinnati? Well, maybe I'll go get a job elsewhere. You know, and, and that was the cool thing about Huber, how he's taking that on with Drew Christman. And the same thing with Mike Hilton, former teammate of Roethlisberger, but a far different mentality than Ben Roethlisberger because he's, Hilton's saying that he's going to do everything he can to get these rookies up to speed. Why? Because he's a, he's a good guy, he's self-assured, he's confident, and he wants his team to be better. So yeah, he's going to help Hill and Taylor Britt and all those guys. So I like the fact that we have guys like Huber and Hilton and not like Tannehill and Roethlisberger. 
Another piece of news is the Ring of Honor voting is coming out, and there's a big list of candidates and so many guys that are worthy of it. You know, Collinsworth, Corey Dillon, one of the best of all time in a Bengals uniform. I mean, there's so many. Willie Anderson, you can go over all that. Uh, you have your, your Laphams and your Montoyas from the old days, Lamar Parrish. I don't have the complete list in front of me, but that's that's the basic gist of it. But my opinion, the two guys that I think are going to get in this year, and not just think, but the two guys that I would vote for at this point, and all the guys I just mentioned deserve to get in there at some point. Pretty much everyone on this ballot should get in there at some time. But it's a matter of putting in guys, you know, you're only putting in two a year. I like it. It keeps it exclusive. And I also feel that you should put in some of the older guys first while they're still here. You know, we saw it with Ken Riley. He didn't get to see his induction into the Ring of Honor because he, he had passed away. So I think Isaac Curtis is one of the players that I would want there and I think is going to get there this year. And I think that he's going to be one of the guys. And the other one I think is going to be Boomer Esiason because he's one of the best Bengals of all time. And it will give that Ring of Honor a little more national recognition to put in Boomer Esiason. Hey, he, he deserves to be there. 100% and deserves to be in the second inaugural class without a doubt. But the fringe benefit to that is that it's going to be publicized and he's going to be saying it on his radio show, talking about it on, on television, and people are going to pay more attention because someone of his celebrity is getting inducted into the Ring of Honor. So that's my prediction and my personal vote for this year. Boomer Esiason, Isaac Curtis, welcome to Immortality. All right, the last piece of news for right now is we had the undrafted free agents, which I'm going to go over the list and talk about that in just a minute. But they had a tryout for guys that are like coming off the street or walk-ons and whatnot. And that's always a good story. You know, you're not a highly touted college player or maybe you you already graduated and there's not much hope. But you're a good football player and you care. I mean, there's no better story than someone walking on even to a college campus, making the team and being a contributor. So in this case, it's Abu Dharma Soiree. He's a corner. He graduated in 2019 or, you know, left college in 2019 and played a few years in the German League. So he was the only player that they took in from there. It's a corner. We'll see what happens. But that's one guy I'm rooting for just because of the backstory behind him and being such an underdog. We'll see what happens. You know, it's a feel-good story. And, you know, good luck to you, Abu. All right, let's talk about the undrafted free agents. We obviously saw our draft picks, and now we picked up 16 additional players. I'm not going to go over everybody's name and, and the story on them because I don't really know much about the guys, and I don't want to bore you with, with 16 names of guys that probably, in most cases, aren't going to make the team. So what do you do when you when you get your undrafted? And the Bengals have done this historically. You kind of take someone from every position group just to have a little backup, and you know eventually those are your practice squad guys. You like to have... a uh, someone at every position on the practice squad, pretty much. So what we actually did that this year with the undrafted. We took every position. Every position is represented except quarterback, punter, and kicker. And I thought they might have grabbed a quarterback somewhere, but, you know, once you get past, I mean, let's face it, once you get, get past the second round, for the most part, you're not getting a functional starting-level quarterback and sometimes not even a quality backup, as we've seen from our own history punter, you have your incumbent Kevin Huber, and you have the young guy Chrisman, who was like a, a practice squatter last year, so it makes sense that they didn't get a punter there. And same thing with a kicker. You have such a young kicker, there's no need. It, it's, it would just be a formality to have someone come in and compete with them. No need to do that. So I understand that. And, you know, if you're going to get 16 players, and you don't grab the quarterback, punter, and kicker, that gives three extra positions where you can get players at other spots. And that's exactly what we did. So here's, here's what we did. Here's some notables. I'll, I'll talk about the names of a couple guys, but for the most part, here's the list. So we, we grabbed a long snapper, and from what I read, he was the best long snapper in the country. His name's Cal Adamitis, and truthfully, I don't like it. You guys know how much of a fan I am of Clark Harris with that perfect career. You know he's got something left in the tank. I, I don't even see this year being his last year. I think the guy could go for several more years. But that's the story. They brought in this guy. He's going to compete. Harris is a, a very self-assured guy, so he's probably going to help him every step of the way. I'm sure he's not looking over his shoulder. And you could say that's not good for morale, but with that mentality of Clark Harris, it doesn't matter. But hey, if you grab the best long snapper in the country, hopefully you can keep him around for a couple years. And when Harris does decide to move on, now you got this great player. I thought it was a year or two too early to get this. 
but you know the, the personnel department saw something they liked, and here he is. All right, the next position is center, and we grabbed a player named Ben Brown, who had a decent college career, some injuries. He's got good size, and from what I read, he's got a bunch of family members that played in the NFL, so he's got the pedigree. It's an intriguing prospect at a position that we're a little thin at, so you know Ben Brown's probably got a shot at making the team if he can stay healthy. Then other positions, we took a guard, we took a tackle, we took a tight end, but he's more of a blocking tight end. That's always valuable. You know, we have a couple of tight ends on the roster now, like like your Thaddeus Mosses, that are a little more of a receiving receiving tight end. So it was good to grab another blocking tight end. You never know. We grabbed a running back. We took four wide receivers, and a couple of those guys also double as returners. So this could be in, in the in the mold of like a Puka Williams from last year. We'll see what happens. But it was four wide receivers. And not taking the quarterback punter kicker enables you to go heavier at this position. And if you look at wide receiver, after the first three, I respect all those players. I think they can all contribute. You know, Thomas, Irwin, um, Trent Taylor. But it's nice to have, you know, four extra guys that you can possibly get in there. Maybe one of them works out. And wide receiver is kind of a position where you can get one late in the draft or even undrafted that ends up panning out. So I like the move here to get four wide receivers. Then moving on to defense, we grabbed one defensive lineman, and he's like a defensive end slash defensive tackle. He's got real big size for a defensive end. It's the player Tisdale. He's 6'5", 285. So, you know, that's kind of a big DE and a small DT. But he's a freakish athlete. He ran a 4'6 at that size. Just imagine that. Imagine that you're playing quarterback and that's what's running you down. I mean, there's players like that in the league, obviously, but that's a great 40 time and great size, great measurables. So we'll see if he can make the squad and, you know, good luck to him. He's also had some injury history and he's very raw. So it's a project, you know, maybe he doesn't come up to the active roster this year. Maybe he hangs out on the practice squad for a year or two, but this is a player that definitely intrigues me and I'm going to be watching him throughout training camp. We also took two linebackers, a traditional linebacker, and the other guy is an, an edge linebacker type, so that was wise. You know, you get a thumper type, and then you get a pass-rushing edge type, so makes sense there. And those guys have a shot. I mean, look at Vontez Perfect, you know, look at Adrian Ross, look at Vinny Ray. You know, those are three guys that were undrafted that had amazing careers as Bengals. And then lastly, we took three corners. And one of them is that corner safety hybrid that we drafted this year. You know, we took three guys in the draft that are like that corner safety thing, and we took an undrafted that is the same mold. So you can see the Bengals are looking towards the future, and the future of the NFL is having safeties that can really cover well and having corners that can really tackle well. And if you can combine that into one player, that's a great player. So three corners, one of them is the hybrid. And that makes up the list of undrafteds. I, I wish them all luck. You know, some of these guys are going to disappear. Maybe a couple of these guys are going to stick. You know, maybe maybe one of them ends up being a household name for us. You know, the sky's the limit. I say it every year. If any of you undrafted guys are listening to the show, you control your destiny. You're on an NFL roster right now. Do everything you can. Study. Prepare yourself. You know, I, I, I sound like a broken record. I say it all the time. But you have a shot. You're in the game. It's up to you. You control your destiny. The 2022 Cincinnati Bengals Schedule. All right, before we dive into the actual schedule, I wanted to talk about some observations that I made on the schedule. So first off, we have the toughest schedule in the AFC, and I think the third or fourth toughest in the NFL. So we open up at home again, which is great. Remember, we had that long streak of being on the road, and that's been broken over the last few years. And as the AFC champion, you deserve to play your first game at home. And the one game that we need to focus on, right, we can go through all 17 games and talk about the what-ifs and whatnot. All we should be thinking about right now is week one against the Steelers. Because after that, then everything starts materializing. Then you can see who plays, who's hurt, who's this, who's that. Right now, it's all speculation. And it's the first time ever we played Pittsburgh in the opener, and it would just be great to send them home with a 20-plus point loss. And you know what? I don't, I don't think that's out of the question, the way that we played them last year. All right, we got the bye in Week 10, and the Bengals always get lucky with the bye. It always seems to fall right about at the midway point. And we play nine games, we have the bye, and then we play eight games. So it's good. It falls in the perfect spot for us, pretty much like every year. 
And then you always want to look at travel when you look at a schedule. Travel's not bad this year. There's no West Coast trips, which are really the most the biggest pain because there's a time change and it's a far trip. It looks like most of our longer road trips are to the south, right? We go to Dallas, New Orleans, Tampa Bay, and then the, the final long longer road trip, it's not even that long, is New England. And, you know, that's going to be in December, but we're used to the cold weather. So it's going to be a lot of warm weather travel trips and not that far. And the Bengals, if you count up the amount of miles that teams travel, the Bengals are always favorable there because they're kind of in the middle of the country and their division is very close to each other. And this is another year. You're not putting a lot of mileage on, on your bodies and air flight and time changes. So that works in our favor this year. And, you know, speaking of New England and cold weather games, that's another thing you want to look at is how the weather is going to influence you. And, you know, it gets cold in Cincinnati in October, but, you know, it really gets cold in November and December for the most part. And if you look at our last eight games, they're all cold weather games. And that plays into our strengths. We're a cold weather team. And the only one that's not is the Tampa Bay trip. And that's a nice little break in December. And, you know, I was thinking about it. It, it kind of can mess a team up. If you're playing indoors one week and in the cold the next week and then in the warm weather the following week and then in the cold the next week, it's the same thing as travel. It, it kind of messes with your internal clock. So the fact that we're a cold weather team and from November on, we're going to be basically living in the cold except a vacation to go visit Tom Brady. That's the weather is in our favor this year, too. So the travel, the buys working for us. Opening at home is working for us. The travel's working for us. The weather's working for us. It's all good. So the schedule, even though it's a very difficult one, there's a lot of positives in it. And there's some good quarterback matchups too. You know, you can go down the list, but I mean, Burrow versus Brady, that's the passing of the torch from the GOAT to the future GOAT. And then you have Mahomes versus Brady, that revenge game. Josh Allen is, you know, becoming one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. It's him versus Burrow. Exciting stuff there. Dak Prescott's always fun to watch. And then you have your AFC North quarterbacks. You know, Lamar Jackson, is that's a good matchup with Burrow. Deshaun Watson's going to be fun. He probably is going to be back for both games against the Bengals. If he gets suspended for six, I think we play them in the eighth week. So we're probably going to see him. And then we're going to see the Pittsburgh quarterback of their choice. But a lot of good matchups, and, and these matchups are going to get a lot of attention. The Brady game, the Mahomes game. Actually, all of them, Brady, Mahomes, Allen, and Prescott are all going to be either primetime games or national games, and that's fitting because Joe Burrow is worth the price of admission, and when you have him competing against another great quarterback, that's an exciting game, and the NFL is fully aware of that. And then we have, you have nine road games this year. Four of them are back-to-back, and that's going to be tough. Like For all the good in the schedule, that's one of the things that is a little tough. When you're going on the road one week and on the road another week. And that happens four times in our schedule. And then if you look at back-to-back home games, it only happens twice. One of them is the last two weeks of the season. And that's when it's the most important. So, you know, to have the Bills and the Ravens to finish out the season at home, you can make a big stamp for the playoffs and moving forward. If you own those two games, that's huge. And the fact that they're both home is very favorable. All right, so there's five primetime games, and there's three 425 games, which are basically national games. And we have primetime games against all three divisional rivals. So again, the league is recognizing just how potent and exciting the AFC North is, and it's reflecting in these primetime and national games. But between you and I, I love the Sunday 1 o'clock games. You've heard me say it before. I wish every game was just Sunday at 1. It's just my favorite time. I get geared up all morning. I rush around and, and make sure I'm there for 103 kickoff. And I don't know, it's just the best time for me, but it, it's not about me. Let these players have their primetime game. Let the fans get excited about it. Let the nation see us. So although I love the ones, it doesn't matter that we have all these prime times. And let's think of some of the pros and the cons. So the pros, there's eight national games. So that's exciting for the fans, exciting for the players. It motivates the players. It's national exposure. It's going to help the Bengals brand, and it's going to help the individual players brand. You know, when the whole nation is seeing Jamar Chase have a three-touchdown game, like right in front of their eyes, they're not just seeing it on the bottom line or watching highlights. Or, you know, when when you, we've done it. You watch Joe Burrow on a down-to-down basis, and you're just like, he is great. And now the nation is going to get to see that. Yeah, they saw him in the Super Bowl. That was a tough outing because of all the pressure. 
But these players deserve it. They deserve to be household names, and it's only going to help them. It's going to help them with endorsements. It's going to help them with future contracts, hopefully with the Bengals. But the fact that we're getting this much attention, it's deserved being the AFC champion, going to the Super Bowl, and having a roster that's one of the best in the league, and having what everyone is, well, at least what I'm saying, is going to be the next great quarterback in the NFL. So it makes total sense, and I'm glad that the world is going to get to see it on a regular basis. And I'm wondering if this is going to be the year for Joe Burrow commercials. I mean, let's face it. You've seen quarterbacks get commercials over the years. Look at Baker Mayfield. and I mean, he's a good actor. I think he did great in those commercials. I want Joe Burrow to get the endorsement money. I totally do. But I like, I like the fact that he's not in commercials. It's, it's just like more of a warrior. Yeah, I'm all about football. I'm not a glamour boy. I'm not an actor. You know, so that's, that's the two parts of it. But he's going to start getting into commercials because you can't not. All right, and then with this schedule, the road schedule is a little bit tough because of the back-to-backs. The primetime games are tough because, you know, they're at odd times and you get you don't get as much rest for some of them and whatnot. So those primetime games and the road schedule, it's going to test the maturity and the focus of this young team because there's going to be a lot of distractions, and those are the cons. There's going to be distractions. You have a disrupted schedule. You have an inconsistent routine. It's not every, you know, you're not Sunday at 1 o'clock, here we go. You know, now it's a Sunday night and a Thursday night and a 425. So it throws off your routine a little bit. And then when you have those Monday night football games, you have eight days rest before them. So that works in your favor. But then after them, you have six days rest. So that doesn't work in your favor. But I guess the eight versus the six, it all balances out in the end. But those are some of the cons that I thought of because of all these national games and all these primetime games. All right, so let's go over the actual schedule. Now, upon first look... The first nine games appear to be a lot easier than the last eight games. But I'm not going to predict wins and losses here because you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, what if what if we're saying, oh, when they go down to Tampa Bay, Brady might beat us because it's a road game, a road trip, you know, whatever, whatever. What if Brady's not playing? What if Josh Allen's not playing when we play the Bills? You know, what if, forbid the thought, that one of our guys is hurt against Carolina and now that's not the easy game that we thought. So you really can't predict wins and losses. So when people go down the schedule now and it's win-loss, win-win-win-win-loss, we all do it, and it's fun to do, but it means nothing because once the season starts, you can see the rookies that develop, the injuries that happen, the teams that get hot. Come on, how many people had us circled on their schedule last year as a win guaranteed? I, I would say all, all, whatever, 13, 14 teams that we played last year were like, oh, Bengals win. You know, and look what happened. So you just never know what's going to happen, and that's why I'm not going to start predicting wins and losses publicly to you guys here because it just doesn't mean anything. So what I always do with the schedule is I divide it into four blocks. So when there were 16 games, it was four blocks of four, right? This year, there's going to be four games, a five, a four, and a four because of the 17 games. But either way, we divide it into four sections. I'll call them blocks. So when I look at this, you want to go over 500 in each block, or at least 500 in one or two of them. So that's that's going to be the plan, and you want to win your divisional home games. So if you go over 500 in the first two blocks and 500 in the last two blocks and win your divisionals, you're looking at 10-plus wins, and that's playoffs. But our goal should be 12 to 14 wins, and with that team, that's totally attainable, and that's how I feel. I, I mean, regardless of doing the win-loss thing and who we're playing and who's hurt and who's not, if Joe Burrow's in there and this team is primarily healthy, there's no reason why we can't rattle off at least 12 wins, maybe even 13-14. All right, so with that said, let's go over the four blocks of the schedule. So block one, home against the Steelers, at Cowboys, at Jets, Dolphins at home on Thursday night. You want to come out of there 3-1. and one. You know, we don't know what these teams are going to be, but just on paper, you want to try to come out of there above 500. You know, with two home games, you just want to win your home games, and you want to take at least one of those road games. So, you know, can't wait to face the Steelers week one. I'm going to be talking about it so much in the offseason. Cowboys, let's go down there and show America's team who America's team really is. Jets, we owe you one from last year. That was a bad loss. And we're not going to let that happen again, no no matter how many good draft picks you had this year. And Dolphins, I am just not sold on Tua. You know, I was watching the game, uh, a Dolphins game last year, one of my friends, and we were just really analyzing his every throw. And just, man, this guy, he's supposed to be accurate, and he's not accurate. And he's supposed to be 
able to read defenses and he's not making reads. It, it was bad. So that's block one. Let's let's just without the win loss thing. Let's just say we want to go three and one there. And if you if you go one and three there, that's setting the tone for a little bit of a questionable season. So come out strong and teach those first four opponents who's boss. All right, so let's move on to block two. That's the one that has five games, and then we have the bye. So now you have at Ravens, Sunday night, at Saints, home against the Falcons, at Browns, Monday night, home against Carolina. Same thing here. Regardless of who's what, you want to go three and two here minimum. And, you know, with the the Saints, Falcons, Carolina, that's a weaker division. You know, Saints have a good defense. We'll see what happens with Winston you know, Falcons and Carolina are, are kind of rebuilding, you know, with question marks at quarterback and not a ton of talent on the roster. You just never know who's going to do what, who's going to be what. But, man, I, I want to take that NFC South and just run over them. So let's break them down individually at Ravens Sunday night. Let's carry the torch on what we did last year and embarrass these guys again. At Saints, yeah, it's going to be fun going down there, but we're not distracted by the Mardi Gras atmosphere or the indoor stadium. We're going after you. Falcons, good luck, Falcons. At Browns, payback. You had our number last year, and we're going to have your number this year. I don't care who's starting for you. The Bengals are a better team than the Browns. And I'm seeing the Browns, the Super Bowl odds for the Browns are better than for the Bengals. And the Super and the MVP odds are better for Herbert than for Burrow. And I'm just like, man, where's, when are we going to get the respect? And I know all you guys feel that way national media and now it looks like Vegas isn't respecting us so what are we gonna have to do we're gonna have to go back to the Super Bowl and we're gonna have to win it and then hopefully all these odds change and everyone just realizes that we're great and then the fifth game of that block is Carolina at home so this is probably on paper the easiest block of them all so you know you're looking at three and two here with any luck four and one so you know three wins in block one worst case three wins in block two that's six wins then you have to kind of go 500 the rest of the way to make the playoffs. But that's not how you want to go into the playoffs. Let's be real. You want to beat the tar out of everyone that you're playing and have teams fear you and and whoop the good teams. Like last year, you know, we're looking at the Chiefs on paper and we're like, ah, it's probably a loss. And I I don't want to go out like that. I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to squeak in at 10 and 7 and you know, I want I want to buy and home field advantage. Like that's what we should be thinking about. But again, we'll see as the season unfolds how everyone plays, and how things pan out. So moving on to block three, we have a bye, and then we get the Steelers again. At Steelers Sunday night, at Titans, home against the Chiefs at 425 National Game, and home against the Browns. This is a tough block. You know, you have the two road games against two teams that are going to play good defense, and then you have two home games against two very good teams. So let's break them down individually. We got the Steelers. I'm hoping it's a down year for them. Either way, face them on Sunday night, hopefully embarrass them in front of the nation. At Titans, you know how I feel about Tannehill, so can't wait. And you guys assaulted Joe Burrow last year, and I'm hoping that you don't even get near him this game. And they're going to be another team looking to get us because we knocked him out of the playoffs. And then another team that we knocked out of the playoffs is the Chiefs. They're really going to be gunning for us. The roster's a little compromised without without Tyreek in there. You know, I know they added some other guys. They had a decent draft, but they lost their biggest weapon. You know, that's like Jamar Chase leaving the Bengals. It's, you're not as good of a team with them or without them, no matter who you pick up. And you can't start drafting these speedster rookies and saying, well, we replaced Tyreek Hill. You know, you just can't pencil in a rookie to take over the place of a guy who's been in the league for seven years and performing at the highest level. So we'll see what happens with the Chiefs. And then we're home against the Browns. And again, you know, let's definitely, if, if they get us in the first one, they better not get us in the second one. So in this block, worst case scenario, you want to go two and two. If you really want to own your destiny and own the league, you're going to go three and one here. So, you know, we're looking at either we're at the eight win mark or the nine win mark at this point and looking good for the playoffs. That's my goal, my prediction, and I hope it pans out that way. So moving into block four, you go at Tampa Bay, 425 game, at Patriots, Monday night football at home against the Bills, and home against the Ravens. Another very tough block. You want to come out of this at 2-2 two and two minimum, and truthfully, because it is the last four, you know, just like last year, the hot team blows through the playoffs, and that's what we did last year. 
You know, we, were, we weren't the best team in football or the best team in the AFC through 12, 13, 14 weeks last year. But if you look at the last couple games of the season and into the playoffs, we were the best team in the AFC, and that's why we went to the Super Bowl. So looking at these games, at Bucks again, that Brady-Burrow matchup is going to be one for the ages. Then we have at Patriots. Patriots are not the same team that they used to be. We'll see how Mac Jones does in his sophomore year. And, you know, you're going on the road, but we're a cold-weather team. They're a cold-weather team. Belichick is always a wrinkle. You never know what's going to happen there. But I feel a lot better about that game than I would if there was Tom Brady sitting up there in New England. Bills Monday Night Football. This could be a preview of a playoff matchup. That's going to be a big game for us. And, again, show the world on Monday night. You know, everyone's saying Bills have the best chance at making the Super Bowl. And, they oh, they, they would have made it last year if, if the overtime rules were different and they beat the Chiefs. The Bengals wouldn't have got past. Well, you know what? Let's show everyone this year, too. Let's show that Burrow is better than Josh Allen, and the Bengals are better than the Bills. And then lastly, it's home against the Ravens, and they haven't announced an actual date or a time for this because I guess they're predicting both of these teams to be very big in the hunt, and they might want to flex this into a primetime game. And what a way to end the season by blowing out the Ravens and riding into the Super Bowl, or maybe like last year, resting everybody because we're so set. So that's the schedule. You win three games, three games, two games, two games. There's ten wins. Anything better than that, and you're in in a good spot. But really, let's, let's be chasing the home field advantage and the bye. McLevy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLevy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frankie. How you doing, pal? All right, my friend. There's a lot of stuff going on with the Bengals right now. I was wondering, what are your thoughts on the Jesse Bates situation? Well, you know, you can understand his point. Not wanting to practice on the franchise tag due to, you know, God forbid he gets hurt. You know, that's his future contracts. As we all know, the Bengals make these big signings like right before training camp. But I look at it that I think they're looking down the road to the, the Higgins, Burrow, Chase scenario. So they're offering what they can do right now. Is that close to what the Bates camp is thinking? You know, as we heard, and him staying out of uh, OTAs, no. So I think, this is my opinion, I think they're going to start looking at what did we trade boy? Because, number one, they're thinking then, we can't have all the money tied up in the wide receivers with, like I said, Higgins and Chase coming up. Uh, it's, it, you just can't have them one position, like we talked about in the uh, round table. So I think now they're going to start. They're going to start reaching out to teams. What would they offer if they trade Bates? What would they get if they trade Boyd? And then look at it that way. Uh, listen, I love what the Bengals have done the last few years. So this is what happens when success comes your way. You know, everybody, that's like all the people on Twitter were saying, oh, Bates won't, he's a team player. He's a, no, listen, this is his livelihood. You know, he, he, he's going to do this. Players are going to do this in Cincinnati now because, you know, even though it's a great locker room, you know, they have to think of themselves, too, and they have to get the most money for themselves. It's not that easy out. All of a sudden, he's a bad guy. It's just he's looking out for his family. And I think the, the Bengals are now realizing that, yeah, we're going to be going through this in next few years. So um, you're going to try and get underneath it. So, you know, we've killed them in the past of how they dealt with things. And the last couple of years have shown that they can they can pull something off and everybody's happy. So um, it'll be interesting, but I look for a, a push in a trade for either of those two. Tom, if you had your choice, who would you rather the Bengals keep, Boyd or Bates? For me, it'd be Bates. For, for having a starting safety compared to... You know, you look at the team, I think it's 1A, 1B, Chase Higgins, and then 3, Boyd, my opinion. But they're interchangeable. But, um, you know, I would personally move on from Boyd. What do you think about the draft? 
Uh, excellent. I mean, you know, it's too early to tell, of course. I mean, but supposedly these guys, were, uh, from all the, the pundits, they are excellent. Dax Hill, he's a safety, but he has the athletic ability to play corner. And then at the second round, the corner from Nebraska, long, but with speed, speed-wise, they've gotten better. They addressed need in the free agent market for the offensive line, so they didn't have to reach there. And that shows when you're active in free agency, your draft can come a lot better. Yeah, 100%. It opened up the draft a lot for them. And then, I mean, Frank, they, they only came away with, what, uh, five players? Yeah, it was six this year instead of the usual, you know. Six, yeah. We, I know we always kind of kind of joke around about, oh, you know, we have three seventh-rounders this year, you know. Yeah. They're finally realizing that those seven-rounders you could probably get in uh, undrafted free agent somewhere. So, you know, it was, it was great to see that they moved up to attack somebody that they liked. Moving on to other topics, the schedule just came out. What are your thoughts on what you see there? Like you say, once again, we're going on what we know from last year, even from our team and others. But um, listen, the additions that we have made, I'm high on the Bengals. The top four games, I mean, Pittsburgh, at Dallas, win-win. At the Jets, you know, that, that's going to be an interesting game. They got us last year when they were real bad. And then the Dolphins, again, we, you know, they made moves, but the quarterback has to perform in that. I think the real test will be the week five at Baltimore. If I had to give a loss, I, I would say the week five game. The other games are winnable. And then um, going on, uh, sprinkled in some game, you know, the week 13 game, they're going to, Kansas City got us on their, on their calendars. Tampa Bay's over going to be overrated this year. Uh, New England's going to be so-so. And then, like I said, the end of the year, I think the real tough part of the schedule. Buffalo in Week 17 and Baltimore. Two great teams, but we got them in our backyard. So um, this is what you get when you win. You get tough schedules. So it'll be a lot of, a lot of cheering in Paul Brown Stadium this year. The fans will be there in droves. How are you feeling about all the primetime games and like the non-conventional, you know, non-one o'clock game schedule that they seem to have a lot of this year? I love it. I mean, uh, people are going to start to see the Bengals. Like you say, they got bits and pieces last year, but it's great. The nation's going to see them a lot. All right, moving on to the last thing about Cincinnati, and I know we're going back to the beginning of the baseball season, so we're going back a little bit, and it's not talking about football, but I know there were some pretty heavy-duty comments said by Phil Castellini. Uh, I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, the Bearcats having a successful season. The Bengals having a successful season. And then you got the Reds, which... With all due respect, Cincinnati's a baseball town. And you got this kid coming on telling the fans, where are you going to go? I mean, the the goal to, to say that to a baseball city and then this team come out with the worst record in baseball. They picked it up the last couple weeks. But they have young pitchers. They got some nice talent. But they're trying to tank. It's really showing. The trade guys that had minimal contracts was a terrible look. And then with Castellini kid coming out and, and, and saying that crap, uh, Cincinnati deserves better. Hobson's Choice Questions. All right, so one of my favorite segments on the show is when I go over the Hobson's Choice questions from the CincinnatiBengals.com website. And what I like to do in this segment is I have not seen the questions ahead of time, so I'm reading them for the first time because I want my answers to be organic and right off the cuff. 
So without further ado, here are the Hobson's Choice questions and my answers to those questions. All right, question one. I was hoping the Bengals would find an additional sledgehammer type back during the draft. Mixon is awesome, but help would be great. All right, so my answer to that is I understand the need to want to bring in another back, and you can get one late in the draft. What we did is we picked up Shamari Jones in undrafted free agency, so he's another potential there. But I think what it came down to was the right back didn't fall to us at the right time, and we're kind of happy with who we have right now. You have Mixon, you have P. Ryan, who is a sledgehammer type back, Travion Williams still hasn't gotten his full opportunity to succeed in the NFL, and he could be a great player too. And of course, we have Chris Evans, who I think is going to get an expanded role this year. And they also have Elijah Holyfield on the practice squad, and he's a little bit of a thumper too. So with all those backs on the roster right now, it makes sense that they didn't get one. And, you know, we're going to move on with the guys we have. And to tell you the truth, hopefully nothing happens to Mixon, obviously. But if something does, I think the other guys can fill in in a pinch and give us some productive snaps. All right, question number two. It appears the team is high on Zach Carter, but are you expecting they add a veteran defensive tackle, such as Hicks, Goldman, etc., to help fill the void left by Ogunjobi? Because if Hill was to go down, we have no interior rush. Well, I think they do like Zach Carter, and they have some other guys that they can rotate in there. Tupa was part of a very successful rotation last year. Also, I think that Ogunjobi is probably going to come back at some point. And if a few guys do go down, you know, you can see them possibly adding a veteran but it's not in the immediate plans, in my opinion. Next question. Would like to hear James Casey's thought on Scotty Washington learning to be a tight end. Well, I don't know Coach Casey's philosophies on this. I haven't talked to him, obviously. But it is a big move for a wide receiver to bulk up that much and go play tight end. There's a lot of guys on the depth chart there. So Scotty, unfortunately, is facing an uphill battle. But I do give him credit. You know, they. I think they told him, look, if you want to... If you want to have a chance at sticking on this team, you're going to have to put on weight and try to go for the tight end position. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, I think he was less than 220 pounds, and now he's like 245, 247. So I give him credit for transforming his body and still you know, doing whatever it takes to get a spot on the team and in the NFL. So you like to see a player ha- have that kind of commitment. Next question. What are your thoughts on what will happen with the big three from the draft class of 2020? Burrow? T. Higgins, and Logan Wilson. Well, I know what's going to happen. Burrow will never leave this building. They're going to give Burrow whatever amount of money he wants, as much of a guarantee that he wants, the length of the contracts he wants, any language that he wants, and it's fully deserved, and I wouldn't expect anything less. You don't lowball a guy like Joe Burrow. He has changed the franchise already, and he's put us on the path for years and years of success. So Joe Burrow is going to get his contract, Same thing with T. Higgins. And you can see it maybe with the Jesse Bates thing that they're trying to save some money up for these other guys. So T. Higgins is going to get a a really nice top-level wide receiver deal, and he's fully deserving. I mean, if we won the Super Bowl, good chance he might have been the Super Bowl MVP. And that's the level that he was playing at last year. You know, very reliable receiver, a, a number one disguised as a number two. So, you know, T. Higgins is not leaving the building either, and they're not going to franchise him or Burrow. They're just going to give them the money that they want because they're young players, and they've already heavily contributed to this team's success. And Logan Wilson, he's going to come a little bit cheaper than the other two, and he's been a leader in the defense. If he stays healthy this year, he's going to command whatever money he wants next year as well. So to answer the question, all three of these guys are coming back. Logan Wilson could be the one that gets franchise tagged, if he wants too much money and, and money's an issue. But I think the Bengals, you can kind of see what they've been doing this year. They're getting ready to prepare for those big contracts of next year. So they're getting ahead of the eight ball on this. And you'll see all three of those guys in stripes for a long time, as long as they stay healthy. Next question. Why have so many fans and seemingly the media given up on Jackson Carmen? Some calling him a bust. Seems that injuries and a change of position should buy him a little space. It's been tough with Jackson Carmen because a couple things go into play here. They drafted him a little bit higher than most teams would have, so he came in with that stigma. He came into camp overweight. He had some difficulties learning the system and adjusting to the game. He had flashes last year where he looked strong and looked the part, and he had flashes where he looked a little bit lost. So I understand why you know people are a little on the fence about him. You can't call him a bust yet. He's played one year in the NFL 
You know, sometimes for an offensive lineman, as we talked about, the younger guys, sometimes it takes them a little while to ramp up and, you know, be able to compete with those veteran defensive linemen, you know, head-to-head like that. So he's not a bust yet, but I don't like the early returns. You know, he's got the -the off-the-field issue. He's had some getting-in-shape issues. Just not not what you want to see. You want to see a guy come in as a second-round pick and just be like a Tyler Boyd. Just be the team player, the perfect player, the clutch player from beginning to end. We have not gotten that out of Jackson Carmen yet. Hence, that's why people are calling him a bust. The jury's still out. I'm hoping that he makes big progress this year. And if he proves to be a liability, he should not be starting this year. You know, I don't want it to be him getting the position by default because that's going to lead to a lot of pressure on Joe Burrow. Our right side is fixed right now of the offensive line. The left side is still a little bit up in the air, and a lot is going to depend on him right now. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I say it has to be a short leash because you don't want to mess around and see Joe Burrow get sacked 70 times again. I don't even want to see him get get sacked 35 times. And Jackson Carmen, if you're listening to this, you're in the game, man. There's a team that wants you to be their starting left guard. They drafted you high. You should be doing everything that you can to be a model citizen, come in in shape, come in prepared, study, be ready. Don't get confused on stunts. No free rushers at Joe Burrow. It's the time. It's your time right now. You do it right, and you could be set for years and years, making a lot of money and being a respected starter for a good franchise. If you do it wrong, then you're going to be a bust, and we're not going to see you in the building for much longer. So the ball's in your court, Jackson, and I am rooting for you. Next question, I think Isaac Curtis should be the next Bengals Ring of Honor member. How about yourself? Well, John Johansson from Jacksonville, Florida, I totally agree with you. And if you listen to the beginning of the show, he was my vote along with Boomer Esiason. There's plenty of Bengals deserving to get there. There's plenty of Bengals that will get there eventually. But right now, this is Isaac Curtis's year. So look out for that. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to kind of be a mixed bag episode. I'm going to talk about some past Bengal drafts. We're going to go over some headlines. We're going to talk about the roster, potential positional battles, a whole bunch of stuff. And we're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.